Welcome to Happily Reformed, a podcast where we discuss practical theology for the average Joe from a Reformed perspective. I am your host, Jimmy Snowden. Well, in this episode of the Happily Reformed podcast, we take a look at chapter three of the book, A Radical Comprehensive Call to Holiness by Joel Behe and Michael Barrett. And in this third chapter of the book, Behe and Barrett talk about the fear of the Lord. What does it mean to fear the Lord? And how does the fear of the Lord direct and shape the Christian life? Well, that's what we're going to talk about. Sit back and enjoy the show. Well, I'm coming to you from the bathroom <laughs> during this episode. That's actually a truer statement than, uh, than you realize. I'm literally in my bathroom. And, uh, and so I got this little bistro table, which is very nice. And I'm sitting on my cooler that I take to work. It's a big cooler. It's, I keep this cooler in my car and, um, but yeah, I'm, I'm literally in the bathroom. So if you hear an echo, that's why I'm in the bathroom. They always tell you, don't, you know, don't call someone in the bathroom because there will be an echo and they'll know that you're in the bathroom. Well, I'm you know, recording a podcast in the bathroom. And, you know, I normally would be recording the podcast in the camper van that's not parked over at our house right now or outside, but, you know, we got this Hurricane Henry or whatever it is. And Hurricane Henry is upon us. It's not raining right now. Um, but I'm sure by the time this episode, by the time I'm done recording, it will have, be raining again. And, uh, so I'm in I'm in the bathroom. There's a little window, and I got a window AC in. And so if it starts to rain, you'll hear it land on the window AC, and uh, that should be fun. But anyways, uh, it, I hope that you enjoy the echo of the bathroom. It's a wonderful place to to record a podcast. Um, so, anyways, that's that's what we're doing, and uh, I got my little iPhone here that's that I use as my microphone and so yeah we're gonna study a radical comprehensive call to holiness chapter three from the bathroom and you know so if if this episode is not all that good then I, I'm gonna blame it on that I mean I'm gonna say well what else did you expect I recorded it from the bathroom I was literally in the bathroom when I recorded it so if you have any issues, uh, bring it up with the bathroom, okay? So anyways, um, The Fear of the Lord. This is chapter three of a radical comprehensive call to holiness. It's all about the fear of the Lord. I want to talk about what the fear of the Lord is. I want to start off there. And then I want to talk about, um, you know, some, some practical some practical stuff about the fear of the Lord. So what is the fear of the Lord? I want to begin by reading a quote from the book on page 54, where Beaky and Barrett say, there is an inseparable link between knowing God and fearing God. There's an inseparable link between knowing God and fearing God. What you believe about God will determine how you fear him, or whether you fear him or not, and if you do fear him, how you fear him, and to the extent that you fear him. 
what you know to be true about God determines how you fear him or if you fear him at all. Um, I've used this illustration before, um, maybe not in this podcast, but um, you can imagine if um, I was to, someone was to be knocking on my door and they were to command me and they were to say, come out with your hands up. I would say, you know, the right thing to say is, who, who are you? Identify yourself, right? That's, that's the way that you respond to that. And imagine if on the other side of my door was Richard Simmons. And he said, it's Richard Simmons in his little pipsqueak voice. You know, it's Richard Simmons. I, you know, come out with your hands up. And I say, who are you? And says, Richard Simmons. You know, with his little, uh, his little poofy hair and his little short shorts. And I would say, uh, no. Uh, and, and, and the reason I would say no is because I don't, I have no, listen, I, I don't have any good reason to take Richard Simmons's, Simmons' uh, word with any seriousness or weight. I, I don't, there, there's no weight to his word because Richard Simmons is just the squeaky pipsqueak. You know, he's the pipsqueak with the poofy hair and the short shorts. So when he speaks, his, his word does not command any authority, does not come with any authority. He, he does not, his presence does not command any reverence or awe. And, and so if Richard Simmons was to command me to come out of my house with my hands up, I would say, no, listen, you're Richard Simmons. I'm going to go back to doing whatever I was doing. Who are you to issue a command to me? You're Richard Simmons. You're nobody. You know, and what you know, so this is the whole point. What you know to be true about God will determine whether you fear him and how you will fear him. The, the fear of the Lord is all depend, determined by what you know to be true about God. There is an inseparable link between knowing God and fearing God. Now imagine if someone were to knock on my door and was to say, come out with your hands up. And I was to say, who are you? Identify yourself. And they were to say, you know, I'm the police chief or whatever. Then I would say, okay, I'm going to come out with my hands up. Because, because of what I know to be true about police chiefs. What you know to, the more, and this is the whole point. Then this is what the fear of the Lord is. The fear of the Lord is almost always in scripture. You know, now let me, let me say this about the fear of the Lord. The, the Bible's a big book right? And if you study the fear of the Lord, as I have done, if you study the fear of the Lord, you're going to find that the fear of the Lord refers to a whole bunch of different things. Sometimes it does refer to literal be, being literally terrified. The fear of the Lord, for those who do not know Christ, they are to fear the Lord in a real sense of fear, being terrified of, of God. Because of his wrath. And the good news is that you can be saved from the wrath of God by trusting in Jesus. And that's why Jesus died on the cross, is to take our sin away, to make full payment for our sin, so that we could be forgiven and our sins could be cast as far as the east is from the west. So so there is sometimes in the Bible, when the Bible speaks about the fear of the Lord, it is referring to being literally terrified of God. Sometimes in the Bible, when it speaks of the fear of the Lord, it's speaking of just simple reverence, just as you would reverence 
a dignitary, the president, a senator, you know, maybe the the owner of a very large company. Um, there's a sense of of reverence. You change the way you speak. You give them a certain level of respect because of the office that they hold, because of the, the authority that they have, right? Um, but generally in the Bible, when it speaks about the fear of the Lord, it's almost always tied to the Word of God and how we respond to the Word of God. And from from my own perspective, and this is how I see it, when I think of the fear of the Lord, I always think of it in terms of weightiness, of heaviness. How much weight do I give God when he speaks? How do, do, do I see God? When God speaks, do I obey his commands because of the heaviness and the weight of his authority? And that's what the fear of the Lord has to do with. It has to do with, and, and it's all tied to your knowledge of who God is. The, if you don't see that God is the King of kings and the Lord of lords, that he has all authority in heaven and on earth, once you understand that he does have all authority in heaven and on earth, that he made you, that he created you, that he sustains you, that he has every right over you. Once you understand that he is your judge, once you understand that he is your maker, once you understand that he is the sovereign over all, once you understand that he is the one that raises nations up and he's the one that brings nations down, once you understand who God is, that he is the sovereign, the high king of heaven, he is the, he is the, the commander-in-chief over the angel armies, that he is the one who is going to bring to pass all of the judgments that are found in the book of Revelation. Once you understand, the more you understand about who God is, that he is He's omnipotent. He's all-powerful. He's omniscient. He knows all things. He is omnipresent. He's everywhere at once. And he is your judge. He is infinitely just and righteous and holy. Once you know who God is, the more you know who he is, the more weight his words have. Right? And the more you understand who he is, the more you will fear him. The more weight his presence will have. You will take him more seriously. And so this is, this is how I think of the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord to me, when I see it in the scriptures, and this is a theme that I see in the Bible, is that to fear God means to take him so seriously that you do not enter into his presence flippantly, it means that you take him so seriously that when he speaks, you listen. You don't listen casually. You sit up. And when you obey, you don't obey half-heartedly. You obey with all of your heart and soul. You're careful, as, as you see it in the Old Testament oftentimes, where it says that you know, to be, God commands us to be careful to obey all that he's commanded. And, and why are you careful to obey all that he's commanded? Because you know who he is. When, when a police chief stands outside of your door and says, come out with your hands up, you just obey. 
because you know who they are. You know the authority that they have. You, you, and so when they speak, their, their word comes with a, with, a, with a weightiness to it, and you obey with a sense of urgency. There, you, you take them seriously because of the authority that they have. Well, when God speaks, you know, I love that passage in the Psalms where it says, you know, that when he speaks, you know, that the, the, his voice breaks the cedars of Lebanon. When he speaks, his word comes with authority, not because of his diction or not because of the volume of his voice. His, his word comes with power because of who he is. He is the one who rules and reigns over all. He is the creator. He is the high king of heaven. And so when he speaks, his word comes with weight. His word comes with authority. And so when you fear God, it means that you take him seriously. You don't waltz into his presence. Presence. You know, you've heard maybe of the, say, of the saying that fools rush in where angels fear to tread. And you see that in Isaiah chapter 6, where the seraphim, they fly around the throne of God with two wings they cover their face, with two wings they fly, with two wings they cover their feet. And they cry out as they're covering their face, not worthy to look upon the one seated upon the throne. And they cry out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. That's how they approach the throne of God. Fools rush in where angels fear to tread. If you fear God, you don't waltz into his presence like that. If you fear God, you understand that you're going before the throne of the King of Glory. The one who has the authority. Do not fear man who can, who can kill the body but can do nothing to the soul. Rather, fear him who can kill the body and then cast your soul into hell. The, the, the weightiness of who God is. And even as a child of God, yes, you, you have been redeemed and he has adopted you. He's brought you into his family. But never forget that your father is in heaven. He is the high king of heaven. And there's freedom and there's joy in the presence of God for the Christian. But that does not mean that we approach him with, in a lackadaisical manner. It doesn't mean that, we, that, that we're lackadaisical about the way that we obey his commandments. Our Father is the one who has all authority in heaven and on earth. Our, the, one, the, God, the God who owns you as his child is the one who brought the flood upon the earth. That killed every living person other than Noah and his family. He's the one who took Ananias and Sapphira. So what does it mean to fear the Lord? It means that when we think of God and when we order our lives, we, we 
think weighty. We, when we hear God speak, when we read his word, we do not read his word. We don't read the threats of his word as if they're idle threats. We, and we don't read his promises as, as if they're empty promises. When the king speaks, you listen and you take him at his word. You don't obey half-heartedly. Because it's the king who's issuing the command. It's, it's not a flunky. It's not Richard Simmons. And so his word comes with the authority of heaven itself. So let me, let me get back to this. I, I kind of got off on a tangent there, but, but this is all very important. He says, there is an inseparable link between knowing God and fearing God. The more you know about the character and the nature of God, about his authority, about his, about his sovereignty, about his omniscience and his om, omnipresence and his omnipotence, the more you know about his holiness and his justice and his righteousness and his love and his mercy, the more seriously you will take him. Even though we have bold access before him, we do not have lackadaisical access. The bold access, access you have to understand this, that when we understand that we do have bold access to come before the throne of grace, that is only because Jesus Christ died in your place. If Jesus did not suffer the penalty of your sin on the cross, you would not have bold access. You come before God careful, careful to only come to him in the name of his son. Because apart from his son, you have no business going before the throne of God. So yes, we do have boldness. We have unhindered access to him because of what Jesus has done by his spirit. But we do not come flippantly because of who he is. And his word comes to us not as a great suggestion. His word comes to us with authority. So what you know to be true about God will determine if you fear him at all. Because some people don't fear God because they think of him like the big Santa Claus in the sky. I've heard actually people say this. One person one time told me, they said, well, God has to forgive me because that's his job. <laughs> so they don't fear God because they don't see him as the one having all authority. They see God as a big Santa Claus because what they think, what they think about God, what they, what they think about God shapes whether they fear him at all or not. And if they do fear him, it shapes how they're going to fear him and to the extent that you're going to fear him. Well, the more you study, and this is, I think this would be an awesome thing if Beaky and Barrett did a volume two to this book, because what their goal is in this book, A Radical Comprehensive Call to Holiness, is they're basically um, showing how, uh, talking about holiness and sanctification in regard to um, the gospel. And it would be wonderful if they did a, a second volume on the, on the pursuit of holiness and sanctification as as it flow as it relates to the the nature and character of God because what you know to be true about God will determine the way you pursue sanctification so um so that's how I that's how I understand the fear of the Lord the fear of the Lord is you take him seriously now now that that is reverence right but I think that it gets more to the heart of what we mean when we say reverence. 
Yes, we, we, we reverence God in the sense that we take him seriously, that when he, we come into his presence, we're like Moses. We take our shoes off our feet for the ground upon which we are standing is holy ground. We're approaching the king. We're approaching the king. And when the king speaks, his word comes with the authority of a king. But the one who speaks to us in the Bible is not just a king. He is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. He's the creator of all other kings. <laughs> he sustains the life of all other kings. So, I want to... So that's, that's what I understand when I think of the fear of the Lord, um, is how serious you take him. Now, I thought this was good that, you know, they uh, talked about how in the book of Proverbs, um, it says in Proverbs 1, 7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. And also in Proverbs 9.10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And I, I thought this was very helpful that they talked about these two passages. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Um, and the basic idea there is, and so in the book of Proverbs, the, the central concern is that the very starting place for wisdom and knowledge is the fear of the Lord. And what is the book of Proverbs all about? It's all about wisdom, right? It's, it's, it's Solomon's wisdom for his, his son. It, it, and so what Solomon said, you know, all, so you, you pick up your Bible. I'm going to pick up my Bible right now, okay? So I'm sitting on my cooler in front of a bistro table in my bathroom. Pick up my Bible. I'm going to turn it to Proverbs. And so you look at Proverbs. Start and go to chapter 1. And then you go to, hold that in one hand, and then go to chapter, the end of, the, of Proverbs, chapter 31. And you hold up that chunk of scripture. You can hear that I've got a chunk and I'm wiggling it, and you can probably hear it crinkling as I wiggle it, right? Proverbs 1 through 31. What does that have to do with? That has to do with wisdom. This is God's wisdom. And what, what is this wisdom? It's these Proverbs. And what do the Proverbs have to do with it? It has to do, well, let me, let me just read a random one. I'm not even going to, don't even know. The righteous one observes the house of the wicked. He throws the wicked down to ruin. Whoever closes his ear to the cry of the poor will himself call, will himself call out and not be answered. So this is all about living a holy life. If you did, so this, I'm just, by the way, I just, this is Proverbs 21, uh, verse 13. I just chose this proverb at random. Whoever closes his ear to the cry of the poor will himself call out and not be answered. What does that mean? It means that if you don't take care of the poor, you're going to become poor yourself. God is going to, you know, he, he's, you're going to pay for, for your lack of love for the poor, your lack of concern for the poor. Now, now, what is this about? This is all about sanctification. How do we order our lives? We'll take care of the poor. How do we live in such a way that honors Christ? How do we become more like Christ? Will we take care of the poor? The, let, me, let me just pick another one. And there's a reason why I'm doing this. I'm, I'm just going to go to a random. 
let's say chapter 16, verse 18. Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Now that's actually a very common, a very popular proverb. Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Now, now what does that have to do with? That has to do with pride, living a life of pride, right? And what does this have to do with? It has to do with wisdom, it has to do with sanctification. How do we live our lives in such a way that honors God and invites the, the blessing of God and the smile of God upon our life? That's what the, the, and the reason I pick out those two Proverbs is just to show you, I picked them at random. I didn't, I literally did a, you know, kind of close your eyes and point your finger down. I did not plan on reading those two verses. I was just going to pick two random passages out of the Proverbs to show you that wherever you go in the book of Proverbs, it's all about sanctification. It's all about living a life that is guided by godly wisdom. It's all about holiness. And you cannot even... So how, how does the fear of the Lord and, and, uh, and holiness come together uh, where where is the intersection and it's this you cannot even begin to have wisdom until you have the fear of the lord the fear of the lord is the beginning of wisdom you cannot pursue a holy life unless if it's born out of the fear of god if you don't start with god who he is his character, and his nature, your pursuit of the Christian life will be very shallow. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And so if, if you go through these Proverbs and you try to apply these pro Proverbs in kind of an atheistic manner, you just, do, you just go through and you try to pull out of the Proverbs some practical principles for living without reference to God, then you've missed the whole point of the book of Proverbs. <laughs> you've missed the whole point. Because the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. To live a wise life in light of biblical wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. You cannot pursue sanctification without it being shaped by your understanding of who God is, right? Now, I, I want to. I want to read a um, a quote from from Beaky and uh, Barrett. They say this. Now, this is kind of I'm going to a um, uh, the kind of the practicality of this. And let me say this. Do you fear the Lord? And I can give you the answer to that question. How seriously do you take his word? When God issues a commandment, how, how heavy does that commandment land on you? When you think about going into the presence of God, how careful are you? Do you come into the presence of God with an understanding that you're going before the King of glory? Or do you come into the presence of God with a flippant mindset of Jesus is my homeboy? 
Because you cannot say that you fear the Lord if Jesus is my homeboy is the thing that comes out of your mouth. He is the high king of heaven. Immortal, invisible, God only wise. So, do you fear the Lord? Let me ask you a question. How serious do you take his threat, his threats? When, when you read about Ananias and Sapphira, does it make you, does it cause you to put your hand over your mouth at all? You, you do realize Ananias and Sapphira are after the cross, after the resurrection, after his ascension, after Pentecost with the pouring out of the Holy Spirit. The new covenant is in full swing when Ananias and Sapphira happen. Does it cause you to look at your life and to be careful to obey all that he said? I mean, you can do the external stuff. We need to get to the heart, though. Do, do, is your heart filled with awe and wonder at who this God is? And when he speaks, does your heart stop? When he speaks, do you put your hand over your mouth? When he speaks, do, do, do you, are you silent before him, ready to receive his word, and then with urgency seeking to put it in, into, into action? How much weight do you give his word? And how seriously and carefully do you come into his presence? even as a child of God. That's what the fear of the Lord is. That, that'll tell you how much you fear the Lord. Now listen to what they say. He says in verse, in verse this is not the Bible. <laughs> Beaking Barrett say, it is on page 56, it is almost inconceivable that one could submit to temptation if and when, at the moment of temptation, he is factoring the reality of God into the situation. Let me read it again. It is almost inconceivable that one could submit to temptation if and when, at the moment of temptation, he is factoring the reality of God into the situation. When you think about the next time you're tempted to sin, think about who God is in all of his splendor and majesty and authority. Think about who God is in, as King of heaven and earth, as the Lord of glory, as the immortal one, the invisible one, the omnipotent one, the omnipresent one, the omniscient one, as the one who's all loving and all goodness and light, as the one who is infinitely just and righteous and holy. It is almost inconceivable that one could submit to temptation if and when, at the moment of temptation, he is factoring the reality of God into the situation. What you know to be true about God will determine the way you fear him. 
This is why you need to read good books on the theology of who God is. I, I just finished Joel Beakey's, um uh, first volume. This is a couple of months ago now. Uh, his first volume uh, in his, uh, f it's going to be four volumes altogether, but it's a systematic theology. And he goes over the character and nature of God in the second half of that work. It's a 1200 page book. But, but that book is so good because it, it lays out who this God is. And the more you know who he is, the more seriously you're going to take his word. When he speaks, you're going to stop for a minute and you're going to put his word into action with, with urgency because of who he is. So, he does talk, I just want to uh, run, run over one thing, not run over, I want to go over one thing that he talks about. And that he, uh, this I thought was very interesting, when he talked about the fear, when we obey God, not because we love him, but because we are afraid of chastisement. And I really like this, because they didn't, they, they, they affirmed that it is appropriate to fear God out of fear of chastisement because that shows that you do not take his threats lightly. You don't see that he, you know, God doesn't issue, issue idle threats. But they also say that that may be um, a, an immature response. That doesn't mean it's not a legitimate response. It is. But it, is, it does show a little bit of immaturity. If the only reason you obey God is because you're afraid of being punished by him, and God does chastise his people. His, he doesn't do it because he loves to watch us in pain. He doesn't chastise us because, um, because he, you know, he's against us. He doesn't chastise us and punish us and, and uh, discipline us uh, be, because... He's trying to uh, he's trying to to make us pay a penalty. He's doing it so that we might learn to fear his name. He's doing it so that we might learn to forsake sin, and he's doing it uh, so that we might flee from those things which separate us from him. He knows, and we know that sin it brings death. Sin ruins relationships. Sin is destructive to our life, our spiritual life in Christ. Sin is destructive to the, the practical experience of walking with God. Sin, just like Satan, comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And God disciplines us so that we might learn to walk in the fear of the Lord and in the joy of the Holy Spirit. Right? So, so it's not wrong to, it is legitimate to, uh, to not sin. It's a good reason to not sin because we're afraid of the punishment of the, the discipline of our, of our father. Um, but it is a more mature response to obey just simply because we love him. Now, now, one of the things I like about the way that they couch this is they, they, they don't say, 
No, they don't say that, you know, if, if you obey God in order to avoid, you know, discipline and chastisement, then you're in sin and out of bounds. No, that's not the case. The fact is, is that all throughout the New Testament, there are admonitions given about taking God's discipline seriously. That, that God does discipline those he loves and that he will spank his children. And we need to uh, take his, you know, his warnings and his, his threatenings and warnings seriously because he does not issue idle threats. But a higher motive for obedience is not just to avoid punishment or discipline or whatever. The highest motive to obey God is out of love for him. I, I want to put this sin to death and I want to say no to this temptation. Why? Because I want to know God. I want to know him. And sin grieves the Holy Spirit. And in our experience, sin does put a wedge between us and God. God does not hear the cries of those who sin unrepentantly. Right? And so and so we, we we want to obey God because we want to know him and we want to walk in fellowship with him. And we want to obey God because we want to live with the, his smile upon our lives. And so the greatest um motivation to holy living is love for God. And that love for God is born out of an understanding of the gospel and is born out of an understanding of his character and his nature and of his goodness. And so the highest motivation to godliness is not some uh, fear of, of discipline, but the highest motivation, but that, that is a legitimate reason to obey. Because God said so, and if, if you don't obey, he's going to discipline you. That is a legitimate reason to obey. But but the highest motive that you can have to obey God is, is you obey him because you, you love him. You love him, and you're filled with gratitude for what he has done for you. But, but we must not downplay the motive of fear of discipline. Because the scriptures talk about it. It's not the highest motivation, but it is a motivation. And so we need to not communicate it as if it were bad for people to be motivated by a, a fear of the discipline of the Lord. Because the Bible sets that forth as a legitimate motivator to godliness into mortifying the flesh and its desires. So anyways, I, I hope that this has been a blessing to you. I want to want to just say one last thing, okay? Um, I want to say that when we speak about the fear of discipline and the fear of God, we, we ought to be, understand that there is a way to fear the Lord that is healthy in a way that is unhealthy. I always use my dad as an example. My dad is a goofy man. And but but I love my dad, and he was an excellent father. Um, and my dad disciplined me 
I got spanked and, you know, I was legitimately terrified of my dad. Um, but never once did I ever doubt his love for me. I knew that he disciplined me because he loved me. And, but, and yet I remember the one time I got a big boy spanking and uh, he told me to go up to my room and I knew it was coming. He had the belt and I knew that I was, it was going to hurt. And when my dad walked into the room, I'm going to tell you that my knees were knocking, my teeth were chattering. I was terrified of him. But I knew that he was not going to abuse me. I knew that he was doing it for my good. And I did not once question his love for me. And even now, and I'm, I'm thankful that my dad spanked me that time. And that's what the fear of the Lord is. It's not this... There is a sense of fear and trembling with the fear of the Lord, but it's not a fear of being rejected by God. If you're truly a Christian, then you should have no fear of condemnation. If God does discipline you, it's only for your good. It's only for your good. It's not for your harm. So you fear him, and even, yes, understanding that the discipline of the Lord is a painful thing. And so there may be teeth chattering and knees knocking. That's legitimate, but it, there's never a fear. I mean, if people who, there's a lot of people I know who will reject that and say, how dare you, Jimmy, say that, that it's okay for the, you know, that the Christians sometimes should feel their teeth chattering, knees knocking in regard to the fear of the Lord. Don't you believe the gospel that they're children of God? Yeah, but I was a child of my father and my knees knocked and my teeth chattered when he came in to discipline me. The reason I can say that is because I have scriptural warrant to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Because they ate of the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner, some of them died. And that was God's discipline of them. He died so that they may not be condemned with the rest of humanity. And yet, I never once doubted my dad's love for me. I knew that he was disciplining me because I needed to learn. And he did it because he loved me. And that's why God disciplines his children. So do not have this debilitating fear of God. He is for you, not against you. If God is for us, who can be against us? And yet, he knows that sin is so damaging Sin is such a killer that he will come into your life and discipline you for it so that you will learn to not sin and so that he can have an unhindered relationship with you. So anyways, I hope this has been a blessing. I'll catch you on the next one uh, next week, uh, chapter four. Have a, have a blessed Lord's Day. Well, I hope that you've enjoyed this episode of the Happily Reformed Podcast. I just want to remind you that every episode that we're doing this study through the book, that I'll have a link in the show notes where you can go and pick up the book and buy it. Well, the book can really be bought anywhere. You can buy it at Amazon or uh, you can buy it at Barnes & Noble. You can get it anywhere. But I have um, a link to buy it 
uh, off of the Heritage Reformation Bookstore uh, website. So anyways, I encourage you to pick the book up, to read along, and uh, to enjoy uh, the book. Uh, as I've said so many times, I, I'm, I'm not really digging all that deep into the book. I'm just taking a few little things and then expounding upon them. Um, and also, uh, I would love to hear from you. If you have any feedback at all, whether it's positive or negative, you can always email me at happilyreformed at gmail.com. And uh, I'd love to hear from you. love to hear what you're learning. I'd love to hear your insights from the book. Um, love to hear any, any suggestions that you'd have for the podcast on how I can improve this thing. And uh, as always, I uh, would ask that you would like the episode, share the podcast, subscribe, follow uh, the podcast, rate it. Uh, You can give it a good rating. You can give it a bad rating. I don't really care. Just rate it. Uh, If you have bad things to say, then say bad things. If you have good things to say, then say good things. Whatever. Um, But yeah, just interact with it and share it with your friends. Share it on social media. Twitter, Facebook, whatever you do. Um, So anyways, I I really hope that this has been a blessing to you. I'm really looking forward to um, continuing in the study of this book. And uh, I can say I've already read uh, chapter four and chapter four of a radical comprehensive call to holiness. Uh, So far, it's my favorite chapter. So anyways, I think you're really going to like it next week. And so, um, yeah, I will see you on the next one. Stay happily reformed.